Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to In It for the Long Run, a podcast for the lessons we learn when we commit to long-term journeys. My name is Trianas Mokombe. I'm talking live from Chicago, and we're super excited to have you listening to us today. I have with me our amazing co-host, the Claudia Fremantic. Claudia, would you like to say hi? Hello from Seattle. Yeah, it's been a bit of a, we've been on a bit of a hiatus from our podcast. So glad to get this back up and running and, you know, chat with you, Trenos. How have you been? I've been pretty great. The hiatus, during the hiatus, I was in Europe, uh, hanging out with a couple of friends, just doing some Croatia shenanigans. Had a really good time to refresh and re-energize and kind of get my mind off of things. Uh, who doesn't love a cute little, cute little Europe vacation? However, now I'm back ready to go, especially since I have to be honest to our listeners, I was not writing during this during this time. So I have literally all the energy to just kind of burst out and get back into to training. So yeah, how about you? How have you been, Claudia? I love that. Um, your life just sounds a lot more like posh and lovely. During our hiatus, I went on a backpacking trip that was, let me tell you, the adventure of a lifetime we got lost and had to trek through a river and climb above and swim under beaver dams for over three hours. And that stretch was only half a mile. So we gained a lot of strength. And when I came back, running was easy. It was like, okay, if I could do that, I can do this. So, you know, silver lining there. Yeah, that's what I've been up to. (laughs) I mean, you're you're way ahead of me in that case. I think the only thing stronger after the trip uh, is my liver the rest of me still has a, a bit a bit of catching up to do but that i think is a pretty smooth transition into our, our, our race updates our first segment of the podcast i'll kick off by saying uh, be- again because i haven't been running the past couple weeks my leg strength is a little slowed down i did commit to doing one full half marathon before going on the trip just to keep in track but i'm looking forward to building up to our second and a, a brief reminder to our guests, we are two months away from the grand race. And so this is key training time. I hope to do another long distance run within the next two weeks. Yeah, that's kind of where my head's at. I just got a email today from the St. George Marathon, and I'm opening it live with you here. And it says here that it is officially sold out. So, Wow. Look at that. I'd like to think that our podcast contributed to uh, the advertisement of this run, but I'm sure they've done their own jobs and marketed this well. (laughs) (laughs) And it just is a beautiful run. So yeah, no, I'm I'm still excited. I am not as far along as I want to be, but I am very proud of the condition that I've gotten to. So I feel like very strong when I run and like a recovery run has become like six, seven miles is a good recovery run for me. So I just need to continue pushing the envelope. But right now it's like a mental game to just like get myself hitting the pavement. But I feel really good about a lot of the cross training I'm doing. So I'm feeling strong. It's just a matter of getting those miles in. So I'm a little bit behind. I'm hoping to do a half marathon soon. I should be running a little bit longer than that. But, you know, we're just going to keep trekking along. We've been doing two-a-day workouts, and they've been uh, really helping me improve fairly quickly. So, TBD. No. I am very jealous that you have a co-workout partner that's there with you to be training with you and, and pushing you along the way. But, yeah, I agree. We're, we're right on the cusp of things. And for our listeners today, we have a very special guest. His name is Matt Byers, and he works in PT. That's physical therapy. He knows quite a bit about how the body works, and we're super excited to have him as a guest today. And we're going to be hearing from him right now. Matt Byers is a medical professional. However, we would like to disclose that any medical advice given on this podcast should not be taken at face value. Please seek a medical professional in case you have any questions or concerns. Thank you. Okay, everybody. Our guest for the day is Matt Byers. He works in PT, and we're super happy to have him on the podcast today. Matt, would you like to say hi? Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Tranos and Claudia. Yeah, thanks for being here with us. We'll kick off with a couple questions to get to know Matt a little better. This is the segment that I'm sure everyone is familiar with. 
We'll kick off with what's in your backpack. So Matt, for this segment of the podcast, we ask their guests what they would take with them if they're going on a long journey or in this case, marathon or or any type of serious journey that you would partake in. What are three things that you think you'd, you'd always have with you? Is it like your iPod? Is it like a bag of Skittles? What are what are your go-to comforts? I'm going to have to say Sour Patch Watermelon is the top of my list. Regardless of the adventure, it could be you know a day hike. It could be an overnight backpacking trip. doesn't matter. Sour Patch Watermelon is coming with me. Probably an excessive amount of water as well. And as far as iPod, no, that's not going to make it into my backpack. I'll probably bring a change of socks. Change of socks. Are these like fun socks? Are they like the decorative ones with like a joke on them? Or I was wearing some Pickle Rick socks yesterday <laughs> in the PT clinic. And my old people didn't get it, but the young people did. I would instantly get the Pickle Rick reference. I love that. <laughs> Pickle Rick! Your Sour Patch comment kind of made me nostalgic. As a kid, I used to eat those all the time to a point where it almost like burn like a hole in my tongue or like, you know, where it gets, gets really raw because you just eat so many. Yeah. I don't know if that I did that like is experience anyone so. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's funny. Um, we're really glad to have you here because obviously Trenis and I have been training for a marathon. It's both of our first times running one. I have tried in the past and actually failed. So I'm pretty nervous <laughs> that this might be round two of that. But no, things have been going well for me. But we kind of wanted to ask you some questions and you know, break some myths about, you know, running, you know, for example, I've heard that sometimes running a marathon can actually be bad for your body, right? And people are like, don't do it. So we just kind of were curious to pick your brain a little bit, you know, regarding like how to train and maybe some of the myths around marathon running or long distance running. Does that kind of sum it up, Trinos? Yeah, I think that's a good entry to it. Yeah. So as far as health risk, our bodies are incredibly adaptable. I have lots of patients that come in thinking they shouldn't lift stuff off the ground, even if it weighs 25 pounds. So I've had plenty of patients that are not marathon-worthy people say, oh, I would never do that. That would destroy my body. For those people with that mentality and the lack of training, it probably would, to be honest. So if you take that mentality into your training and you just nudge your body in that direction over time, your tissue will adapt. You also have to rest appropriately while you nudge. And that's where I think a lot of people might go wrong with their marathon or just distance training in general. Yeah, I feel like that's an experience I had as I went in a little too difficult at the beginning. I was just like, oh, like, how hard could this be? And I was running very long distances initially. And like, there's an entire week where I couldn't walk them because my knees were completely shot. So I think it went a little too hard, too heavy. Like, how would you strike the perfect balance between yes, this is difficult, but I know that my body is growing versus I should probably listen to my body and like stop, you know? So you should always listen to your body. I say that with a grain of salt for some people. So marathons are going to suck at some point. Doesn't matter how much you train, you're not going to have fun at mile mark. And that's just going to be your normal. But if you are trying to get different training intensity days in your program, that's going to allow you the opportunity to have a hard day where it might be more tempo runs, working on speed, and then you have a long distance day where it's more casual, but you're able to just get miles under your feet. I strongly recommend having a running coach because I am not one. <laughs> Fair enough. Wait, so you got into physical therapy. You've been in the field for a while. Why? What kind of brought you to that? You know, just to get to know you a little bit better too. Sure. So I played competitive soccer through high school. And with that came a lot of injuries. That was right around the time I discovered weightlifting. So picture me at this height, minus about 40 pounds. It didn't go that well in the midfield sometimes. So after those injuries, I ended up going to PT. And I just enjoyed the process, learning about my body, learning how I can push it to make it adapt and do what I want it to do again. And then in college, I kind of stuck with that orthopedic physical therapy lens. I tried some other stuff. Neuro classes were okay, but I ended up really enjoying orthopedics and sport. So after PT school, I ended up doing an orthopedic residency, which is a year of intensive training and coursework with the goal of getting a board-certified orthopedic specialty, which I did. After that, 
I went into pelvic health a little bit more. So working with men that might've had their prostates removed because of cancer, patients that are expecting a baby or recently delivered a baby, or just anyone that might have pelvic pain. Could be trouble going to the bathroom, constipation. It could be endurance runners that have some hip pain or back pain that isn't resolving and is actually due to some pelvic floor changes. <laughs> that sounds familiar to you guys. Um, Claudia, potentially more you than Tranos, no offense. <laughs> no, that's what happened. My last time I was training, I had a, like a lot of low back issues and had to go to physical therapy for it. So yeah, no, appreciate the whole profession because now we're back at it. So yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Tranos, you were saying your knees were in like hurting and then you did some like stretching and now you're doing all good. Is running bad for your knees? Could be. I will go back to what I said before. If you do it without any kind of a program or any regard for your body, yeah, it could be irritating. That's the word I prefer to use. And then if you ignore some of those irritations, you could develop an injury. So very common as you increase mileage, you might develop knee pain. Is that due to your running form? Is it due to you need a new pair of shoes? Do you really just need to take a deload week and allow for some active recovery to happen? It's when you ignore those aches and pains, that's when the potential for injury might increase. I think a part of that too is the, and this is also kind of myth versus truth, is a lot of people will say, oh, don't do running because also the long-term effects of it are like, oh, when you're like, I don't know, 50 or 60, you're not going to be able to walk or it's going to wear out your your joints. How far true is that? Do you feel like there's a way to sustain running long distance in life or does it really take a long-term impact? Um, I would say if you do it right, you can do it very well into you know your 60s. I've had patients that are running half marathons in their 70s. Those are like the 1% of my patients. I don't see those people often. But if you're running and programming appropriately, you should have a more competitive season where your focus is on running and you should have a relative off-season where you focus on building hip strength, just pure strength as a whole. Your cardio might shift to more cycling, more elliptical, a rowing erg, anything to just allow different joints to be loaded. That's going to create longevity so you can run well into retirement. I like that. I'm a big cyclist, so that's what I've been doing a lot of cross-training with, like especially on my like off-running days has been just hitting the cycle gym or just biking outside. So that's good to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Exactly. I, I at least try to hit the gym to do the exercises you were mentioning earlier, Colada, just like regular squats or like leg workouts just to get the muscles strong. So it's nice to have an alternative. You mentioned shoes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I always hear like you're supposed to change your shoes after 300 miles. I am guilty of not doing that. I don't know, Trinus, are you guilty of not doing that? I have had my shoes for years. I am definitely <laughs> haven't, haven't switched them in a while. Like from, from a PT perspective, when you hear that, like, are you like, ah, it doesn't matter? Or like, do we really wear down our shoes that much? Or maybe you don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go somewhere in the middle. I'm not an expert on when to change footwear, but I would say that if your running form is more heavy footed or a heel strike preference, that might tell you to change your shoes earlier, right? If you've had your shoes for a couple of years, you develop some aches and pains, ankle, knees, hips, back, whatever, and you like to heel strike, you're gonna benefit from more cushion than someone who say midfoot strikes or forefoot strikes because you're using your body's suspension system more if you're a forefoot striker, for example. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things to take into account is, is it realistic for you to buy shoes every 300 miles? If you're buying those Hoka ones, those are pretty expensive. So personally, I wouldn't do that. I would try to stretch out that money and, you know, maybe I end up buying more, you know, gel snacks for my runs and I buy a slightly cheaper pair of shoes or something like that. But I've had patients cycle through three pairs. Two pairs are their actual running shoes. And a third pair is their check-in with themselves shoes, where that might be just a short run where they do a mile just to assess how the cushion feels in their two running shoes versus that third relatively new pair, mm -hmm. right? And if it feels drastically different, that might be a sign that you should replace one of those pairs of shoes. 
Do you think that kind of relates to like the barefoot movement where like if you run like a certain way, like maybe that is better versus like if you're used to running on your heels, then obviously having that cushion is helpful. If you put 20, 30 people on a treadmill barefoot versus shoes, the people that are barefoot are overwhelmingly going to be forefoot strikers. And that's because it's inherent that we want to have lower impact. That's just our natural instinct, right? When you put shoes on, you might have more cushion. So they're barefoot shoes like those original Vibram Five Fingers, the toe shoes, where they have almost no cushion, they're super flexible. And if someone goes into minimalist footwear, they might not do that great if they're not nudging their body and starting to train little by little right? You're going to break in your body like you'd break in a new pair of shoes in this case. So you might want to run just 100 meters and then walk in them and then mm-hmm. into your other shoes. How easy is it to, I guess, change your running form? Because I feel like that's almost muscle memory, is it not? Like I feel I've had people tell me to like, you know, start with my foot, like with my toes and then bend that or like you start with your the back of your foot and like lean forward. How easy is it to ch- like mentally change your, your running form? That's going to depend on the cue that you mm. use with someone who's running. So the easiest thing to do is to not actually change your form, but to change your cadence. I don't know if you guys have heard about the number 180 just getting thrown around. No? Okay. Let's have a moment here. So... <laughs> Study after study has shown that runners, as well as cyclists, are most efficient at a cadence of about 180 steps per minute. Mm. That doesn't mean right-left is one that's right one, left one. So 180 times a minute. And that is regardless of recreational running, competitive running. It's just the most efficient way for us to generate force. And that is flat ground. If you're going uphill or downhill, that might change a little bit because I'm not going to take 180 steps in a minute going up a very steep hill. That's not practical. But that is our best economy for running. So if I have someone who is a heel striker and, say, has knee pain, hip pain, whatever, one of the first things I might do is put them on a treadmill because that's easier for me to be next to them. I don't have a bike in the clinic where I can just pedal alongside. And I'll take a metronome with them into the room with the treadmill and find what their natural cadence is. I'll have them pick their running speed, tell them, imagine you're running two miles, right? Not a super intense pace, just a casual two miles. And if they are in like the 130, 140 steps per minute zone, I'm just going to crank up the volume on the metronome and turn it to 160 and see if they can get up there. If they still are struggling, at 160, I might turn up to 170. So the goal there is if you're having a shorter step, your foot can't land as far in front of you. You're going to have to pull back earlier. So you might land with a flatter foot just by listening to that metronome tick. And then in turn, you have a vertical shin so that when you contact the ground, you don't have a braking force being applied. If your feet start to get in front of you, your first contact is actually slowing you down. Does that make sense? So it's kind of forcing you to step correctly because of the pace. That makes total sense. Yeah. Correctly, more efficiently, tomato, tomato. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to find a song that's like, I don't know about 180, maybe 90 beats per second, and then double time it and see exactly. if I can keep at it. That's actually kind of interesting. Yeah. There are Spotify playlists, there are YouTube playlists that have that. So you can just find 160 beats per minute or 80 beats per minute. It's a slower song with not your kind of energy. Maybe try 160 and you'll find something that suits you. Oh, okay. Is it 160 or 180? It's a range. It's like a range. So, yeah, 180 is overwhelmingly the number for elite runners. That might be hard for a recreational runner to just turn their feet over that quickly. But for someone that's trying to have some more longevity in the game, increasing that cadence should help increase your economy and decrease some of those tissue stresses. Yeah, now to our listeners, if you see me running down the street with a metronome, don't ask any questions. (laughs) Now you know what I'm trying to do. (laughs) Well, the beauty of it is nowadays you don't have to just carry a metronome. There are free apps for your phone. You put your earbuds in and no one knows that you're crazy. (laughs) No, definitely give it a shot. 
Another thing that we wanted to ask you is kind of getting into nutrition for runners as well. What are the best things to eat as we're like gearing up towards the race and also during the race itself? What would you recommend we eat? Should we eat at all? I've heard gel packs are good. I've heard like nutrition bars are good. What are your recommendations? Is drinking this beer bad as we're interviewing? So I'm not going to name names, but one of my friends is a very strong marathoner. And she has done well in the competitive circuit. She's finished very high, like single digits in the LA Marathon. And yeah, she, she's up there. And her routine the night before is to drink some champagne. How much? I guess that depends on her mood. But, you know, for her, it works. <laughs> Matt, we're you just, in. just made my day. Like, yeah, I was reading all these things in. like cut alcohol. <laughs> well, I'm just celebrating because we had some good news today. And I just, yeah. Yeah, that's good news. Okay. You're right on track, Claudia. You're right on track. You're already. (laughs) Everything depends on the body and how they like process that. But I, I, you know, I love that recommendation. I won't say that. I won't say that I won't. So a drink that's not going to kill you. You know, if you are pounding a bottle of champagne every night, probably going against your training goals. And during the race itself, would you recommend actually eating anything like gel power packs to give you energy or will that like affect, I don't know, how you're processing food while you're running? So during the race, you want fast digesting sugars. Sour Patch Kids, probably not a great idea because you have to chew, but those gel packs are going to be awesome. I'd recommend trying those on a long run before you actually bring that to the race. Because if you practice like you're going to perform, your performance isn't going to be that much of a stretch. Cool. Uh, I think I've seen those available on like Amazon or something. So that's something I want to try to add to my running routine as well. I don't know, Claudia, have you tried those before? I I have. Um, I was thinking too, like maybe like having like electrolytes on hand in my like water pack, like whether that's like Pedialyte or like the liquid IV is what I was thinking. I don't know, Matt, if you have any opinions on that. Yes, you're going to be sweating a lot during the race. Yeah. You're going to be just covered in salt by the end. If you're wearing a dark shirt, that will be apparent. So during the race, I would recommend pacing your snacks, pacing your electrolytes. So for your goo packs, every four to five miles, that might be a great time to just have a goo pack. That way you're replenishing yourself before you get to the point of crashing. Good call. And like, okay, so when we're prepping right before the race, obviously you might do some stretching. What is your take on like dynamic stretching versus static stretching versus like rolling? Because I've heard a lot of really strong opinions that some people are like, don't stretch like it's way better just to like roll your muscles out or you should always stretch. You know, they, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. What's your take? If you look at power output, if you stretch, let's say your hamstrings and then you do hamstring curls for maximum effort versus you just warm up by doing lighter hamstring curls, you will have a greater power output if you don't stretch. So taking that into that a marathon. That makes sense to you, Trenis. <laughs> uh, that's not what I would have thought, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. So stretching doesn't actually warm your muscle up in a way that prepares it for its movement. So you can get stretch inhibition where it actually turns down that dimmer dial on the muscle's output capacity. You're not preparing it for the activity that you're going to do. So studies back, I would say, in the mid 2000s into the 2010s maybe they talked about injury risk for stretch versus not stretching and i'd have to dig to find this resource for you but i can get it to you um and it actually had an increased risk of injury with stretching versus a dynamic warm so nice. anyone that's been part of a team sport or a sport that has a coach let's say that because individual runners should have a coach at some point depending on their goals you should have been told to do dynamic warm-ups versus static stretching as a warm-up. Really, any time after 2010 would be a rough estimate. So static stretching maybe is more of like a cool-down, you think? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't tell you the last time I stretched my hamstrings, and I can still fold in half and put my hands flat on the floor. 
And I am not on the bendier end of the spectrum. I don't have any, you know, Ehlers-Danlos connective tissue stretchiness disorders. I just do a lot of RDLs and deadlifts and my hamstrings stay nice and stretchy. And what's your take on like myofascia rolling? It's great torture. It can be <laughs> beneficial for those that have some myofascial limitations. If people are saying, yeah, I got to roll my IT band out. I got to stretch my IT band. Cadaver studies, again, cadaver dead people, have shown that it takes at least 800 pounds of force to stretch your IT band. And a foam roll is not going to generate that force. So more likely what is happening when someone foam rolls their IT band is you're increasing that tissue's resilience or your ability to tolerate something that would otherwise make you say, ouch. So it's one of those things that feels good in the moment, but probably isn't doing a whole lot for you in the, in the long run. It could help with recovery, but I wouldn't say like if you foam roll your IT band, it will get more flexible. That tissue is very rigid. Good to know. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big myofascial roller. I'm very into it. I do this like program called well round. I just think it's like, I don't know. I think it's amazing, but I also really like, it's like kind of like self massage, but it is not comfortable yeah. always. No, so. it's not always comfortable. There are those monster tire looking rolls where I don't have any interest in that. I just have a pretty dense foam roll and a slightly less dense foam roll. And I typically use the more dense one. That's just like, if I'm feeling up for it, I might have something on TV in the background. It's not a staple in my recovery. There's nothing wrong with doing it. If there are other things, other gaps in your training, I'd rather people fill those gaps first, as opposed to spending 20, 30 minutes foam rolling every day. Mm. Fair enough. Claudia, you're making me feel like I'm doing it wrong now. I'm like, is it supposed to hurt? Am I just like doing some like low key version of it? But oh, so no. So I use like kind of like these lacrosse balls, but they're made mm. out of rubber, so they're a bit softer. Mm. <laughs> Matt's face. <laughs> yeah, it's rough, but it's helped me in the past with like different injuries. Is the video recorded for part of this, or is it just audio? Oh, video as well. Well, our listeners don't get to see the video, so that's... <laughs> oh, thank God. We'll describe your the reaction after the fact. <laughs> Trennis, do you have any pre-race prep questions before I start asking about my fears that I have post-race? Pre-race questions. I think the food was the biggest part of it for me, uh, knowing what to eat, and now we know how to stretch. We know to drink champagne. I think we have all the key elements in here. Feel free to, to throw your fears in there. Okay. Yeah. No, I, so obviously I haven't gotten to a marathon yet. I am concerned about how I'm going to feel afterwards. Like despite the training, like will my toenails fall off? This is like, a, I've read so many things and I am scared. <laughs> like what are, like, have you, like, I know that you maybe haven't ran a marathon, or have you? I didn't actually no, catch that. I have not but run you're a an athlete. That's not on my list right now. <laughs> you're an athlete, and you've worked with people that I don't know if they've necessarily done a marathon, but you've probably seen different injuries. Like, what what do you think you, we can expect? I don't know. Do you have any ideas? As far as your toenails falling off, if your shoes are fitting properly and you're trimming your toenail, and it's a relatively flat course, let's say, you're probably less likely to have a toenail fall off. If you're more of a heel striker and your shoe fits slightly looser, that then allows you the opportunity for your foot to slide toward the front of the shoe. And that's just a repetitive stress to your nail bed. Okay, this is an interesting point because Tranos chose a marathon that goes downhill most of the time. Thinking it would be easier, I think this might be harder. I still feel like it's going to be easier going downhill. I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting. Because <laughs> um, when, when you're going downhill, you're using different muscles, right? You are using the same muscles as a whole, but the type of contraction will be a little different. So picture the steepest hill you've run down recently, right? Let's say it's 200 meters long. When you're going down the hill, you're still using your quads, but you're absorbing 
energy instead of creating energy. So mm-hmm. that would be called an eccentric contraction, where the tissue is starting in a shortened position, and then as you are moving, that tissue is lengthening. A great example is if someone hands you a heavy grocery bag, when your elbow's bent, your hand's up at your shoulder, and then you're just going to slowly lower it down. That contraction is a lot easier to do than someone handing you a grocery bag when your elbow is straight and your hand is at your side, and then you have to bicep curl it up to your shoulder. And that just has to do with the, the muscle fibers. When they're already contracted, those fibers are overlapped. As you lengthen them, they just slowly separate. So when you're running downhill, that type of contraction can actually cause more soreness mm. compared to flat running. So it might be more sore in the long run, I see. Okay, Claudia might be correct on this one. The dread, the dread in his face right now. <laughs> okay, wait. So I I was told when you're running downhill, it's good to like put, like do like a heel to toe kind of movement with your foot. Do you think that's a good recommendation or is it like very dependent on the runner? I would say it's going to depend on the runner. If you're exclusively running downhill for 26.2 miles in the same exact way, your body's not going to get variability and it's going to hurt no matter how you run. So anything that provides variability in this marathon might help. So that could be you spend part of your downhill, like a steeper downhill, leaning back, trying to rock heel to toe to have less impact. And then some other part of the marathon, you might find yourself wanting to lean down into the hill. Now, what that allows is instead of your knees and your quads, excuse me, being the primary force absorbers, you actually have the opportunity to use your hip to absorb that force. So if you stand up, Claudia, your headphones long enough? I think, yeah, I think so. Hold on. So stand up on your tiptoes. Okay. Imagine you're in some really tall stilettos. Go up on your tiptoes and squat down to the floor. Try to have your butt touch your heels. While they're up? Yeah, just stay on your tiptoes, squat down as low as you can go, come back up. Trano, so it looks like you're not having a great time over there. And just go down and up a few times. This is when you're going to be like, I don't know if these people are fit enough. <laughs> yeah, this is, this that is, is the not test. We're going to pass the test. For our listeners, so, we are shaking right now. <laughs> so when you come back up, okay. you don't have to keep going. You should feel... Okay. Your legs working. Which part of your legs is working for that? I feel like my quads and like the back of my back of my feet, just above the back yeah. of my feet. So paying yeah, attention like to kind your of thighs. Your knees. Yeah. Yeah. Your quads are gonna be doing a lot of that work. Right. The part on those rear calves are working, that's just to get you in the position. And all that was for is to illustrate that when you have a knee dominant deceleration, if you're going downhill, your quads are gonna take that force. If you do the same squat, but feet flat on the ground, that's going to let your butt go back like you're trying to hip bump someone, right? Mm -hmm. So if your trunk is super vertical and you're only using your knees to absorb that force, that's going to be all quads. If you get your butt back when you're running downhill, that translates to chest forward, then you might get some more hip absorption of that force. Okay. Interesting. That doesn't mean run like Naruto. (laughs) (laughs) no running forward like this i see i'm gonna i'm gonna re-listen to this later once it's out and take some additional notes these are good things to remember and think about you know especially like for this specific race okay the other thing i am nervous about is i'll be getting on a plane like a day or two after like when you're on a plane and you're sore just, I don't know if this sounds stupid or not, but like, I know like when you break a bone, you don't want to go on a plane because of the pressurization. Like, is there something that like I should consider about the plane and like after coming off of such like a strenuous activity? From a red flag medical emergency standpoint, no. Yeah. You're just going to be incredibly sore. When you get on the plane, you're not going to have that many opportunities to get up, move around use that aggressive foam roll. So when you stand up after that flight, you're going to be pretty stiff. Okay. 
someone's going to have to pick me up. I'm going to feel like, have you guys ever seen the episode of How I Met Your Mother where Barney's on the subway just like sitting there? That is like my, that is my current fear right now. (laughs) That will be me. So we should probably sit in the window seat where we can just kind of decompress and be stiff for as long as possible. Yeah, Matt just nodded his head as basically confirming that fear is (laughs) might might be a reality. It shouldn't Uh, result in a medical emergency, but you're not going to be enjoying life. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we we have a a section to wrap things up that I think Claudia is going to introduce, but I have one more question for you as well. Um, I might have one more too, Tranos. This is good. Yeah, this is really good. Uh, I also really like that physical exercise, by the way. The first guest that's really put us to the test as runners. Um, but yes, my question is, so I've seen a couple of TikToks. And uh, in those TikToks, for example, you'll see a nurse that in her profession, she's just like, okay, we've had this patient come in uh, that has done XYZ, that's ridden a motorbike, and I'm never going to ride a motorbike again. In your profession, have you seen any sort of physical activity or thing that you're make sure your people never do again like what is your one do not do based off of stuff you've seen oh this can go in a number of directions um do you want me to put my pelvic health hat on to answer this question or do you want me to have my general orthopedic hat on to answer this question (laughs) Mm, i feel like general orthopedic gives us more options let's 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 spread it out a bit Okay, we'll start there. Um, I would say driving or being a passenger with your feet on the dashboard. Absolutely not. If that airbag goes off. So many images. Yeah, it's exactly what Uh, you think. Knee goes uh, through your eye socket. Hip dislocates. Femur breaks. Uh Uh-huh. Same thing, uh, driving with your thumbs over the airbag on, like, the horn of your car. Mm. Right. So if your fingers are kind of going up along the wheel and your thumbs are hanging out in the middle and that airbag goes off, you get two thumbs up. Snaps. They're, they're breaking. Uh, for our listeners, uh, Claudia and I are very much shook us. We're giving very uh, scared reactions. No, we're squeamish. We, Charles and I knew, well, a long time ago that we could not be in the medical field for this reason. So. <laughs> No injuries in accounting, at least so far. Um, yeah. And, and anything in the pelvic field that you have seen that you would recommend against? Um, recommendation four, squatty pies, or anything that elevates your feet when you're having a bowel movement. That is good for your pelvic health. Um, as far as recommending against not using lubricant, but that's not really for a running podcast. That's just general life advice. <laughs> fair enough wait okay i actually have a pelvic question i don't know <laughs> is this the time to ask my personal medical we're, questions we're already sure. here we're yeah. on the air no okay did you get so... the waiver that i sent you <laughs> <laughs> i okay i i take the fact that you know i'm not a patient this is not like actual advice but just out of sure. curiosity um so I went, I don't know if Trinus told you, I went on a cycling trip with my partner for three months and we were basically on our bikes, like, you know, 12 hours a day, every single day for three months. I have heard that some cyclists experience, I won't say if we have or haven't, that like your ability to like not have to go immediately, like sometimes is hindered because like you're sitting on those like nerves all the time. So, Is that a thing? Yes. In the cycling population, it can be common but not normal to have what's called pudendal, pudendal neuralgia. So the pudendal nerve comes from the Latin root that means shame because it is in the shame zone in the genital area. And if you're sitting on a very narrow seat or a seat that doesn't have enough cushion, you might actually squish that nerve and cause some irritation there. Just interesting. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Um, okay. The last question I wanted to ask was, um, in terms of like, when you see people recovering or when they're trying to reach a goal, like, how do you think, like, there's the physical aspect, obviously, but there's also the mental aspect. How do you think those things play hand in hand? And do you think one's more important than the other? If your body is not ready, your mind won't be ready, but your mind helps your body get ready. 
if that makes sense. So yeah. a very frequent issue with the population of athletes that have had an AC reconstruction is that they might pass all of their strength tests, all of their hop tests. They might be running, cutting, jumping, all of that. But mentally, they might only rank themselves at 70 to 80% confidence. And if you're going to do something that requires 100% commitment, but your confidence in your ability to complete that task is 70%, well, what's in that 30%? What's going to get you there? So if you extrapolate that to marathon training, at this stage, you have, what, two months until the marathon? Yep. What's your confidence that it's going to be successful? I would define success for Claudia as finishing the marathon. Tranos, how would you define success for your marathon? Uh, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm aiming for four and a half hours. So not just finishing, but finishing with a good good pace and time. Okay. So what's your confidence scale, zero to 10, that you're going to finish in four and a half hours? Zero is snowball's chance in hell. And 10 is, oh, yeah, I got this. No question. Let's put that in like a solid and safe six. (laughs) Okay. And Claudia, what's your confidence scale? I'm at an eight. I'm at an eight. I'll give myself an eight. Okay. So, Tranos, one way you can spend this is why did you give yourself a six? Why didn't you give yourself a four? Because I've never done it before. So, I I think the fear of the unknown, the broad fear of the unknown is what, like, makes me say that. And at the same time, it's like, if I do end up failing, then I can beat myself up for it after the fact. Does that make sense? I'm kind of almost like giving it a safety net uh, okay. for failure. Wait, did I mishear the question? Is it one out of 10, 10 no. being confident? Oh, I just Yeah, so Tranos misheard my follow-up question. So, yeah. So you took that as a negative question. So the question is, why did you rate yourself a six? Why didn't you rate yourself lower? As in, why do you oh. think you're better than a four? Oh, sorry. Yes, I completely misheard that. That's okay. We can edit that out. It's fine. Um, (laughs) Great question, Matt. I think that... I think that I rated myself a 6 instead of a 4 because I have done pretty decent running in the past, so I can see myself kind of bridging that gap to finish in a good time. Good. I've known Tranos a while, and Matt, I know you've known Tranos. I feel like he underestimates himself all the time. Like, he tells me all the time, I can't run, like, a nine-minute mile. That's crazy. And then he will run an eight-minute mile and, like, doesn't understand, <laughs> like, that that's what he's doing. So I, yeah, I have full confidence in you. Thank you. Good. I think yeah. you're both going to crush it. I like that you know each other well enough to know that when Tranos is underselling himself. Um the point of that exercise is to just see where you're at mentally, right? If you are in your training cycle and you've never done a run over 12 miles and you rate yourself really high on that confidence scale, you should probably reassess something, right? Mm -hmm. If you're rating yourself low and you're a couple weeks before the marathon, well, is that nerves? Is it something that you've done all the distance, you've felt as fine as you can feel doing those long runs and it's just nerves creeping up on you that's where you have to check into your mental health do you need to practice more meditation do you need to do more things that bring you joy like making another podcast to distract you i don't know what is going to bring you up to those higher grades so i think you guys could spend the next two months just trying to see how you can increase that mental toughness going into this I like that. Maybe Trinos, that's what we have to add to our race updates. When we just yeah. we say, what, where is our mental state at? One out of 10. Let's go. I, love I, that. I, I agree. Yeah. Let's just rate our mental uh, preparedness at the beginning of the podcast. Now, I, I really like that as well. Matt, I have to say you've given us not just physical advice, but mental advice as well. You're like one of the, the best guests we've had so far. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, at least but, for preparation. Yeah. Preparation. Um, like, absolutely. Maybe I'll take us into our last segment which we call That's a Stretch, also known as Two Truths and a Lie. We've got to know you a little bit, at least on a professional sense. Maybe we'll, we'll be able to, to get this one. So basically, the rules are you tell us two truths and one lie, and Trenos and I will have to figure out which one is the lie. Is that, 
I just said that right? Okay. Yep. And I'm going to put, this is the first time I've done this. I'm putting stakes on this. So whoever loses Tranos, and so if we both lose, we both have to do this. I don't know. I have to get him to agree. But Agreed. I was thinking we write on our hands, you got this. And everyone we see on our next run, we have to give a high five. I think that's an awesome idea. And okay. that's, wait, that's a very positive thing. Is that what, if we win or if we lose? I don't know. I thought it was like a little embarrassing, but now it kind of sounds fun. So what do you want to do? If we fun. win or if we lose, it's up to you. Oh boy, I uh, will leave it up to our guest. <laughs> Is it if we win or if we lose? 50-50. Yes. Why does it have to be either or? Why can't it be you just do it? I think we're just going to do it. I agree. That's, That's an awesome idea. suggestion, Claudia. Okay, um, then we can chat about it. I love I love it. Okay. Yeah. All right, Matt, what is your two truths and a lie? Oh, let's see. Uh, well, I can't say something because it's over my shoulder <laughs> in my video. Not that the listeners would know, but there's a guitar hanging right behind me on the wall. So I can't say anything about that. Um, I will say... I have never owned an automatic transmission car. I had to stop my Appalachian Trail hike in Maine. Not the full trail, just the main portion. I had to stop the main portion because I thought a friend was going to die. And... I studied abroad but only stayed, wait, oh, scratch that one. Hmm. I don't know, you guys are making this hard for me. Should we oh, 50, no. 50 it? <laughs> one we put one you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, geez, we really did. We did. You know, I read your podcast notes, and I think I just glossed over the two truths and a lie part, <laughs> thinking that it was going to be you guys, not me. <laughs> I should have clarified. Um, I should have clarified. Let's see. And I have a dog. I like... You have a dog. I do. Um, okay, just a heads up, Matt. Uh, wait for both of us to answer before throwing in which is the truth and the lie. I'll go first, and I want to say that the lie is the main one, the Appalachian Trail one. Maybe I feel like that one is one where the um, truth has been altered slightly, so it's not a full lie, but like a half truth. Claudia, what do you okay. think? I thought it was the dog. I thought you couldn't come up with the lie. <laughs> But maybe I'm wrong. What is it? I have cats. <laughs> My fiance and I have two cats. All right, Claudia, you're on that one. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt, but yeah, nice. I don't know. I I think that's a trick. Wait, did you do the whole Appalachian Trail or you said just the main portion? We were going to do the 100 miles of, of wilderness in Maine. And uh, toward the end of our first day, it was like an eight mile day for our first one, which was a great idea, right? Um, it was probably the worst part of the trail to do for that long, but we just needed to get the miles. And one of the guys just started like dry heaving and it did not go well. So we genuinely Jeez. thought that he was gonna die if we didn't turn around. Oh, he was with you. Okay. Yeah, but it was he's me okay and two now. buddies. Oh yeah, he's fine. He's in much better shape for hiking. I will double down on what, what you said, Matt. Uh, to our listeners, the elephant in the room is definitely the guitar that's hanging behind Matt this entire time. Are you, like, in a band? What is, what's the story behind the guitar? No, so I actually played the violin uh, starting at, like, age seven, I think it was. And I played all through high school, debated going to school for music, ended up choosing PT instead, and played through college in the non-major symphony at Ithaca, which coincidentally is full of music majors that are on their like fourth and fifth instrument. True. Um, dabbled with guitar a little bit in middle school and then kind of dropped it. But during COVID, I ended up getting a guitar again. And now, much against my fiance's wishes, I have several in our apartment. And I have one more on the way that I'm building with my dad. <laughs> 
Oh, that's awesome. Matt, if you're ever in Seattle, I'll, I'll point you to all the really good open mics if you ever feel like you need to perform in front of people. If you bring the champagne or some other alcohol to you just hype me up, I might. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll make Tranos. Well, I guess Tranos isn't here now. We'll make Tranos fly out here. It'll be a whole thing. I'll fly out just for that. <laughs> well, Matt, thank you so much for being our guest on the podcast today. I think that's all the time we have. Thank you yeah, so much for having me. Yeah, appreciate all the advice. Yeah, anytime. You guys can always reach out. If you need to have a, a repeat session or an abridged podcast, feel free to send me a list of questions and I can get you some resources. Awesome. Thank you. All, all right. right. Bye, Matt. See you, Matt. Bye, guys. Yeah, it was great talking to Matt. What a great person to talk to as we gear up and we're about two months out to our run. One thing that he mentioned outside of the drinking champagne piece, which we know is all my favorite um, method of getting ready for a run, is the fact that because this race is mostly downhill, it's like understanding how to shift the pressure in your body. So that's something I am going to be thinking about as I run is how can I you know, maybe I go heel to toe, heel to toe at some point and have that pressure more in my like quads. And then when do I move to kind of be on more of my toes or front of my feet and have that weight forward? It's something I'm going to just kind of play around with, I think, just to kind of give my body different ways of running and practicing that because I'm a bit nervous. And I don't know if it's like constantly downhill or if it just kind of appears that way on the track. I guess we'll find out when we're there, but just something I want to play around with this week. Based off of Reddit, I think there's a bit of uphill at the end. So they may be variability, but yeah, you're correct. It's mostly downhill. But that's a pretty sweet takeaway. He gave us a lot of, I guess, physicality advice. I really liked his advice on pacing. I really want to try that pacing exercise that he gave to us. Claudia, I think something we can probably add to our race updates is our, our mental check-in as well. Perhaps on a scale of, of 1 to 10, how confident do we feel in our skulls? That was a fun thing to do with him as well, a little, little mental exercise. Yeah, I love that. I think I mentioned that earlier too, that that was a good idea. And uh, yeah, I'm all for it. So next time, that will be the first thing we go to, the mental check-in. The mental check-in. But that's all we have for you, folks. Thank you so much for listening to In It for the Long Run with Claudia Fremantrick and Trana Spokumber. We're looking forward to hearing from you next time. Have a good day.